Amen. Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to John 3.16. John 3.16. And it should not be lost on us. Let the seer understand that Jesse talked about trials and joy, and we had some trouble getting the joy candle lit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so let, let those with ears to hear, hear. Uh, John 3.16, we're continuing our, our time unpacking this verse and, and spending the, the Christmas season mining the depths of it. And as you make your way there, it's getting to that time of year where you're, uh, it's a little bit, uh, a few days before Christmas, and you're probably having those last-minute conversations with those you love, like the conversation my wife and I had this week about Christmas presents last-minute presents, we might be able to get each other. And uh, my wife sent me a text, essentially, uh, tell me what you want me to buy. <laughs> so there's always, uh, you know, to cut through it. And I responded with the customary, I don't need too much, uh, don't worry about it, uh, it's fine. Uh, her response was, you deserve a little something, I just wish I was a better gift giver. And uh, to that, I said, uh, guys, especially young guys, pay attention. <laughs> I said, well, it's hard when you are the perfect gift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nailed it, right? Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> Just as a side note, uh, she is a, a good gift giver because she, she got me the, one of the best gifts I've ever gotten uh, for Christmas. She got me a coffee mug, and on the coffee mug, it's, it's supposed to be me saying it, but on the coffee mug, it says, all I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> Just kidding. There better be some books under that tree. <laughs> So I said, it's hard when you are the perfect gift. And, and of course, her response to that was, that's very true. <laughs> now, it is, yeah. <laughs> it is true. Uh, it is true. And, and I'm not just saying that about my wife. It's true because as you think about it, is we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and maybe you made a list or you said, the things that you're thankful for, is it not true that some of the greatest gifts in life are in fact not things at all, but people? It's people. How many of you think of your spouse, your children, your, your closest friends? I, I'm reminded of a poem on friendship that, that conveys this idea. I, I love this poem about the great gift of friendship. It's called Friendship by Dinah Crike, C-R-A-I-K, if you want to look it up. But listen to, to how she explains it. Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them out all right out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, Certain that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and then, with the breath of kindness, blow the rest away. 
That's so good about, about friendship, your loved ones, the ones that are some of your greatest blessings. They're not things, they're people. And when we look at John 3.16 in anticipation of Christmas Day, we are approaching a time where we remember God's greatest gift to us is a person. It is the birth of Jesus Christ. And in the first week, we said God is a loving God who gives lovingly. And then last week, we said God gave us the greatest gift when he gave us his son. And this week, we want to ask the question, why? Why did God give us his son? Why was it necessary? Why did Jesus come? And when we look at John 3.16, Jesus himself tells us. What we will see is that God gave us his son, but in giving us his son, God gave us our Savior. God gave us our Savior. So the main idea this morning that we want to kind of dive into is this. Jesus came in order that sinners who believe in him would have eternal life. Jesus came in order that sinners who believe in him would have eternal life life look at john three sixteen. jesus says for god loved the world in this way for god so loved the world he gave his only begotten son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life look at that phrase there that second half for god so loved the world that he gave his only son why so that that so that indicates the purpose, the reason that Jesus came. Jesus is giving us the purpose for God sending him. And what was the purpose? It was the salvation of all who would believe in Christ, all who would place their faith in him. In other words, you could translate it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in order that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life so what john three sixteen reveals to us is that jesus's coming was the gift of a savior a savior who's bringing salvation god shows his love for us by sending his son to be our savior so really our main idea comes out of the text jesus came in order that sinners who believe in him would have eternal life and so as we examine this main idea, there's three truths I want you to see out of this second half of the verse. Number one is this, Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save you. Jesus' coming was not a vacation. It was not an act by which it just kind of fell together where Jesus got lost on his journey through the cosmos and he made a pit stop to earth. It was a purpose. There was a mission. Jesus shows up for a reason. Now think about travel. Our team's getting ready to go to Uganda in a few weeks, really less than about two weeks, about 17, 16 days. And whenever you travel out of the country, when you get to that country, what do they ask you? What's the purpose of your visit? And then sometimes when you come back to the country, when you come back to America and they say, where did you go? And then they say, what was the purpose of your visit? Why did you go to that country? Right. If we ask that question about the coming of Jesus, the purpose for his visit was to save 
sinners, that they might have eternal life. But, but it's easy to think in, in sinners and in the group. I want you to understand that Jesus came to save you. You. Why? Because you needed saving. Why did you need saving? Well, the Bible, the whole story of the Bible shows us why. But if you just look in the context of John 3, look at verse 18. It says, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. If we zoom out and, and, and take the rest of the Bible into account, the reason we need saving is because we're sinners. We love the darkness. We're born in the darkness. We love the darkness. We, we love our sin. We love our own lust. Our, we, we love ourselves. We love other things more than God. We, we know what God tells us to do, and we don't do it. We know what we shouldn't do, and we do it. We sin. We disobey. We've rebelled against this God. And so, we need saving. And you think about Romans 5, 8, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So understand this, Jesus came to save you, but he did not come to make good people better. He did not come so that we might have some, some motivation for self-improvement. He came because the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. What we deserve is death physical death, and eternal death. We deserve to perish, to use the language of John 3.16. But he came to save you. Think about that. What does that reveal about his motivating factor, about his love for you? Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save Put your name here. Now, there's a couple of ways that we could apply this, but, but one, there's two ways I want us to think about this. Number one, as much as we talk about God's love, we cannot neglect the reality of our sins. We've been talking a lot about God's love, and that's good. Amen. We, God loves us. Praise God that our God is love. But I hope you understand that What's remarkable about that love is that it is love shown towards sinners. It's love shown towards enemies, towards rebels, towards traitors. So we said Jesus came to save sinners. We cannot ignore that last word, that Jesus came to save sinners. So, yes, God loves us. Yes, God is abundant and overflowing in his love for us. But what makes it so remarkable is that it's towards us as sinners. But the second application I want us to, to think very quickly is that, that this mission reveals the heart of God and really the whole heart of the Bible. What you see in John 3.16 is the climax of the story from Genesis to Revelation. That in the beginning, God created humanity. He created Adam and Eve 
And they were perfect and they were without sin. And God told them, you can eat everything you want. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's exactly what they did. They sinned. They rebelled against God. They were kicked out of the garden. But God promised in Genesis 3.15 that he would send someone to crush the head of the serpent. He would send a Messiah. And then you go from Genesis through Exodus, through Numbers, through Deuteronomy, through Leviticus, through Deuteronomy, through all the prophetic books. You go through the history, through Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the whole Old Testament is waiting and waiting and waiting for this one to come. And then you get to the Gospels. And we're told that an angel appears and tells Mary, you are going to have a son. An angel appears to Joseph and says, call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the whole Bible culminates in Christ. It culminates in Jesus bringing redemption to his people. So in doing so, the narrative of Scripture we read is one in which God is active in the redemption of his people. So when God promised in Genesis 3.15 that he would send a Savior, understand that all that you read in the Old Testament is leading up to that, to where Jesus comes and he is the Savior come to save sinners like me and like you. So, the first truth, Jesus came to save you. The second truth I want you to see this morning is you are saved through believing. What does Jesus say? He says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Why? So that, look at this, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who believes. Why did Jesus come? So that everyone who believes in him would not perish. Jesus came to save sinners, and how did he do that? Well, remember the context, okay? Jesus has said in verse 14 and 15, just as Moses was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. On the cross, that's what he's talking about. Why? Verse 15, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So, how, is he, how does Jesus accomplish the redemption of his people? By laying down his life on a cross. He comes. He's born of a virgin. He, the Son of God takes on human flesh. He lives a perfect life. He actively obeys God's law perfectly. But then he is passively, perfectly obedient in going to the cross and taking the wrath of God, the justice of God, the punishment that we deserve for our sins, and he takes all of it. It's through his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's the historical, objective way that God saves his people. Christ paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All on the cross. Notice, however, that Jesus says that this salvation is for those who believe. Just because Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners does not mean that every single person is saved. It's for those who believe. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to believe? Well, there's three parts that are usually associated with it. Now, it's true that it, we often sometimes think of believe as facts. And all of that, that's a part of it. 
In other words, we think just because I, I, I know the facts about what happened to Jesus that I must believe. But then it's not just that, but sometimes we think that I believe those facts are true, that they actually happen, and we think that's what believe means. And if we're being honest, many of us and many people who think they're Christians stop there. I believe that Jesus actually did come. I believe that he actually died on the cross. I believe that he rose again from the dead. I believe that actually happened. Now, this, you have to know those things. And if you're going to believe them, they need to, you need to believe that they're true. But there's one more key part to when John says believe, and when Jesus says believe, it's not just assent to the truth. It's not just knowledge of the facts. But it's have you appropriated it to yourself? Have you said, I know these facts, I know these are true, but then there's a third part of belief that says, and I need them. I need them for me. So there's, there's this traditional formula of what we're talking about here, knowledge, assent, but then trust. Trust is what takes it and brings it in and clings to it. Believing means trusting. It means receiving. It means resting upon Christ and his righteousness. Think about it this way. When you, when you go to sit down, right, you can know what a chair is. You can know the, the definition of a chair, what makes a chair sturdy. And you can even believe that the chair in front of you will hold you. It looks like a solid chair. I don't see any cracks. It looks brand new. I know that anybody who sits in that chair will stay elevated in the chair, right? You have the knowledge. You assent that it's true. But then there comes a time when you have to sit in the chair. You must sit. You must rest. You must either receive the chair in all its chairness and sit. And so the question becomes, when it comes to Jesus, have you done that? Have you appropriated it? Have you applied it to yourself? Have you moved from Jesus is the Savior of sinners to Jesus is my Savior? I hope you have. And if you haven't, why not right now? Not, not even waiting till the end of the message or after church. Why not right now? Why not recognize that you've sinned against a holy God, a perfect God, that you need a Savior and that Jesus Christ did everything for you to be saved. That he died on the cross. He took your punishment. And he rose again on the third day. Such that you bet it all. You place all your faith and trust and belief in him. And say, Jesus, you're not just other people's savior. You are my savior. So, Jesus came to save you. And those who believe are saved through believing. But now there's an obvious question. Believing in what? 
Jesus says, whoever, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him, the son, will not perish. So understand, it's not just belief, it's belief in Jesus. It's resting in Christ. Now here's where this matters, because a lot of times we try to find our assurance in the fact that we've believed. We try to believe in our belief. That's why I love that song, Come All You Unfaithful. Sometimes we base our assurance on how faithful we've been, or how strong is our belief, or how consistently we believed. The problem is Jesus doesn't say that they have eternal life who believe in their belief. They have eternal life who believe in the Son, who rest in the Son. And so, what do we have when we believe? This brings us to our third truth this morning. Those who believe have eternal life. Those who believe have eternal life. Notice at the end of John 3.16, he says, Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So, really, John 3.16, lets, he, he lays out, Something that as much as we might want to avoid, as much as the world may not like it, it's this truth. Sinners have two destinations and only two destinations. For some, it's death, eternal death, eternal perishing, and for others, it's eternal Life. Each one of us in this room will inherit one of these two. So the question is, how do we receive eternal life? Well, John says, and Jesus says, it's by trusting, resting in Christ's work for us. And so a fundamental truth by this, behind this verse, we might say, is the understanding that we can do nothing, absolutely nothing, to save ourselves. We cannot keep God's holy law perfectly. We cannot do enough good. We cannot be good enough. Even our best five minutes is tainted with sin. So why was Jesus' coming necessary? It's because we had rebelled against this righteous, holy, perfect God. And so we need a salvation outside of ourselves. That's why we have to believe. It's nothing within us. In fact, if we, if we think of it this way, the problem with looking inside ourselves is that the problem is inside ourselves. It's, it's drinking from a poisoned well. The problem is, is that we have a sinful nature. We have sinful desires. Our, our loves are disordered. And our acts are done based upon that sinful nature, those sinful desires and those disordered loves. And because of that, we're guilty. We've sinned because we're sinners. So, Christ comes, lays down his life for us, takes our punishment, rises again. And that's why John says, we who believe, those who are believe, have eternal life. So, how can you be saved? You believe 
in Christ, you rest in the promises of salvation attached to him. Sinners who believe in Christ, trust in Christ, have eternal life. Now, this does not contradict what I just said, that we do nothing to earn our salvation. Understand belief and believing is not a work. Believing is not salvation by works. It is the ultimate act of recognizing that we have no works. Believing, putting our faith in Jesus, is the hand by which the sinner actually takes the free gift of Christ's perfect righteousness given to us. So believing is to stick out your hands and to recognize there is nothing good in my hands that I bring. I simply desire to receive that salvation. It's called a hand because it's not of works for eternal life, but it's by faith that we receive Christ in eternal life. It's not a full working hand. It is not a hand that's bringing anything. It is an empty, receptive hand. When we believe, when we put our faith in Christ, we're saying, I receive and I take Christ in his righteousness to be mine. And that's what we're invited to do. We are summoned, invited to rest in Christ. And this aspect of faith really shows up in places where the Bible talks about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So think about Acts eleven seventeen: Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So, so our salvation, this believing, is, is believing on. It's resting on. We, we, with our salvation, we rest on the rock of Christ. We, we fling ourselves in desperation on the rock of Christ. We rest on the chief cornerstone. Trusting in Christ is resting on him with your whole weight. It is falling down and lying on the rock of ages for salvation. So accepting Resting, trusting, however you want to think of it, all of these imply a personal appropriation. Sinners who believe in Christ have eternal life. But what does that even mean? Have you ever thought about that? Eternal life? Before I give you an answer, what do you think it means? Just think in your mind really quickly. I don't know if you've ever given it much thought. Perhaps you think eternal life just means endless life. That instead of one day dying, we will just live forever. And that might be a part of it. The only problem is, is unless Jesus comes back before you die, there is a 100% chance you will die. Where maybe you think endless or, or, or eternal life refers to a blessedness or a fullness, and surely it refers to that. But here's the thing. Those are abstract gifts. We talk about endless life or blessedness. But, but where, do you go, where do you go to find a bucket of blessedness? You don't. What does eternal life mean? A lot of times when we do cross-references, I say you don't have to turn there. But I want you to turn there this time. John 17. Let me hear those Bible pages flip or your phone tap. 
when it comes to eternal life, I want you to see what it is. I want you to see the answer for yourself. Because until I had started, the truth is, until I had prepared this sermon, I had never made the connection between these two passages. John 17, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. What is eternal life? John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life. Stop right there. Look at me. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is Jesus in what's called the high priestly prayer. Praying for his followers, performing a, a prayer like a high priest would. And he says this, he's praying to the Father and he says this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So I want you to leave here knowing the deep, full answer to the question of what is eternal life. What is it? Jesus says it's himself. It's God. So our main idea Jesus came in order to save sinners who believe in him would have eternal life. Based on John 17, we could rephrase it this way. Jesus came in order that sinners who believe in him would know God and Jesus Christ. Or even better, we could put it this way. <laughs> Jesus came in order that sinners who believe in him might get him one theologian puts he makes a statement at the beginning of his book he says God and God alone is man's highest good I'm afraid we we need to Understand that when we talk about grace, when we talk about eternal life, when we talk about blessedness and kindness, none of those are disconnected from the person of Jesus Christ. The eternal life you receive when you believe is nothing other than Jesus Christ came so that he could pay the price so that you could be forgiven of your sin, so that he might give himself to you. God and God alone is man's highest good. You see, when, when Jesus says, for God so loved the world, do you see how much he loved the world? How much he loved you? That Jesus came so that you might have him when you believe and rest in Christ to believe and rest is to receive him and to I can't make it any simpler to have Jesus see here, here's my big problem with with a lot of the ways that the gospel has been preached and in previous generations we talked about receive like trust Jesus so you can go to heaven or, or trust Jesus so you don't go to hell but what 
the Gospel of John is telling us is, is if you want Jesus, you can have him. Oh, but I'm a sinner. I, 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 there's no, no, you can actually. But no, you don't understand. No, Jesus made it so that you can receive your greatest good, that you might know God, have a relationship, be able to fellowship with the God who created you. So believe, to believe is to receive. Believing in Jesus Christ is receiving Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you receive eternal life. If you don't, John makes it really clear. Those who don't believe perish. What does it mean to perish? It means that you will not enter the blessedness, the goodness, or joy of God's presence when you die. And you do not experience the blessedness and the goodness of God's presence here on earth. The reality is you will either have eternal life or you will perish. And what makes the difference is if you've trusted and rested, believed on, believed in, appropriated for yourself, Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're a believer here this morning and you've done that, God has given himself to you. This is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and the one he has sent, Jesus Christ. But if you haven't done that, understand that Jesus is very clear. Those who do not believe will perish. You will go to a place of everlasting perishing. A place devoid of all hope. You will go to a place that you know you're there. You know you deserve to be there. You'll also know that there's no way out of there. And you'll know that you chose this for yourself. And you'll have to live with that for the rest of eternity. But there is a way. There is a way to have eternal life. Maybe today's the day where you come to Christ with every, every piece of baggage, every failure, every sin, and you rest and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. He can be your Savior today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for the, the offer of the gospel that says we can be forgiven through faith in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. Lord, I thank you that salvation is not dependent on us in any way, but out of your kindness and love, it can be received. Lord, for those who are weak in faith, help, help them to see your love, your kindness towards them in the, the economy of God that we are saved and have eternal life simply through believing and resting in Christ. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who needs to trust you and rest in Christ as Savior for the first time, Lord, prompt them. Lord, help them to, to understand that 
if they're, they're feeling led to do that, that's not because of me. That's not because of anything other than you speaking to them, nudging them and, and telling them, come. Come, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, you unfaithful. Come, you bruised and broken. Come and rest in me. Holy Spirit, as we respond, help us to all respond as you lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.